Welcome to Misinformation, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Jones, and we are doing a special podcast session today on the unfolding disaster in New Palestine, Ohio, about the train derailment. And I have, of course, joined by the lovely Dr. Cindy. How are you today? Hi. Hey, doing good. Just excited to hear what you have for us today, Rebecca. This is Misinformational, Rebecca Jones herself. And let me just before you dive into this, because I know you have so much information. As you were telling me that you were getting ready for this segment, I had in my mind that you are the 21st century Aaron Brockovich. I've heard that quite a bit. I actually am referencing her in, in today's kind of podcast and in the article that we'll post with it. But yeah, she's definitely a non-traditional heroic female figure for her investigative work in finding rare clusters of cancer that resulted Mm -hmm. from water contamination and has been a very out there hawk for water contamination issues specifically across the country, including in Florida. And so, yeah, she's not somebody that's bad to be compared with. I just hope that when they make the movie with me, I'm not walking around in like a pasties with a jacket over it all the time because <laughs> I don't, I don't know I, don't know. I liked I enjoyed Julia Roberts portrayal with the, yeah, the I, tank loved it. I mean like, I know that there's always differences between the film and the real life it's made her to be one of us who saw something wrong and she didn't have the money she didn't have the resources but she had the smarts and the commitment to see what happened and use the specific tools at her disposal to get that information. And it certainly had a huge impact. I believe at the time it was one of the largest settlements a company had ever had to make for a pollution settlement. It it was a big deal. And that, yeah, that's a, that's not a bad comparison. And we'll bring her up today as we go through what's happening right now in Ohio. Yeah. So tell us what's going on and why is this such a hot thing for you today? I'm going to get into that. But before we get into the really heavy stuff, I want to cover some lighthearted stuff. Okay. So I do have, we, I had a couple topics I was going to get into Biden ending the pandemic emergency and thus cutting off the expanded Medicaid is a big issue. We can talk about that later because that hasn't happened yet. There was a bunch of craziness involving the state of the union, but I feel like we're very heavy on politics and should try to at least sometimes look at things from a different angle. And of course, I did an interview early this morning with some journalists from the UK about UFOs, which was super fun. I can now mark off being called as an expert on UFOs for the news off my bucket list. And I don't think it gets any weirder than that. But then again, this is life and I never thought that would be a thing. So Yeah, that was interesting. There's a lot of misinformation about what's going on and why we're picking up all these objects. So I'm actually going to make that my disinformation story of the week. We'll go through it real quick. It's pretty simple. After the Chinese balloon debacle, NORAD, which is our radar and technology system that monitors the, the air and the atmosphere and all the things that go through it for the northern United States and Canada, basically made their filters less sensitive. So if you think about when you go fishing and you use a fish finder and you say, I'm only interested in catching a great white. So you turn it so that all of the small fish get filtered out. Otherwise your whole screen would be filled with tiny fish and you wouldn't be able to see the great white. So you say, ignore everything smaller than a tiger, just in case. And then that helps you find the great white. It makes it easier. It makes it faster. It makes you more ready to address the great white when it comes through. What NORAD basically did, and NORAD is a radar mostly based technology, was say, okay, let's look for the minnows. Like, we'll allow everything that's bigger than a minnow now. And what we're seeing is there's a lot of fish in sea. And it could be as simple as sky trash. And if I don't get that trending after that UK article, I will be thoroughly disappointed in myself. The same way we have space trash and ocean trash and debris because of where in the atmosphere it's hanging out, it's basically just floating along the jet stream. Mm. And so we've seen several of these objects. I think we've destroyed at least four at this point. No other information about what they are, but there's a lot of disinformation about how these were all launched right after the balloon as some kind of test of our imperial might 
or some kind of pissing match between us and China or us and Russia. There's no indication whatsoever that these things were recently launched. They could have been there because of how slow moving they are for some time, and we just weren't looking for them, so we did not see them. It is false at this point in time to say that any single country is responsible for them being in the atmosphere at the place in the atmosphere where they're at, or that they are new. So those things are premature. That's a huge disinformation story that's going around. I got called as an, my expertise is in satellite and radar technology. I wrote a master's thesis on it <laughs> and have published some papers on basically detecting minute changes on the Earth's surface using satellite and radar based tech. But it was weird because she phrased it as introducing me as like a UFO expert. And I was like, I'm not a UFO expert. I'm not a UFO hunter. I did a master's thesis in combined applications of aerial satellite and radar technology to detect changes on the Earth's surface from different altitudes. But I'm not a UFO tracker. Please don't call me that. Please do not put the label under my name. Here it is misinformational. Please do not put UFO expert. Like that you're going to be with that, that guy that's in the meme, right? From the ancient aliens with the hair. Alien. Yeah, right. yeah I don't want to be the UFO tracker. But it's we don't have enough information about what they are, where they come from. There's no indication that these things were recently launched. There's no indication that China is behind it or Russia is behind it. At this point, why we're seeing all of them as once is because we stopped only looking for great whites and started looking for cod. And so we find out, hey, there's some cod and went after the cod. We blew it up. We blew up the cod, which also brings up the issue that we probably need a less destructive means of bringing this stuff down other than just blowing it up. A lot of these objects were not large. They were the size of, I think one was compared to a bug car, like the little beetles, obviously unmanned aircraft and not appearing to have any propulsion or mechanical features to it, which kind of leads me to think it's more like sky trash, got ocean trash, space trash, sky trash, hmm. but we'll see. For something to stay afloat, is it's complicated. You're not just going to have something break off of something and just float across the atmosphere forever. Hmm. But until we have more information, it's very premature and false to make all these wild claims. So that's so, our UFO disinformation story of the week. I was going to say, <laughs> probably unlike our friend, what's his name? Tom Burgess. Tim Burgett. Tim Burgett, oh, right. Yeah. I actually think it was like twin... Tim Burchett was right the whole time. He kept referencing the, I think it was 2017 disclosures of unidentified flying objects, which is what UFO means. It does not mean alien technology. And you know how there were 300 objects at one point in time when they turned off these filters globally that they did not recognize and they had not ever fully identified as what things belong to whom. There's options, the Department of Defense refused to rule out anything, partly because there's a number of options that the general public's not even considering. These could be privately run devices from people who are experimenting with different types of propulsion or self-regulating moderation, things like that. And we just don't know. But um, yeah, Tim Burchett was very happy about finding all these new devices. He's like, shoot it. He actually tweeted, shoot it. And I was like, oh my God, Tim, did you keep your vampire stick? I hope you kept your vampire stick because these aliens are coming for you. <laughs> Yeah, it, I will say for me from watching this story, it's it was very strange for me how it went from, oh my gosh, we're mad at the Chinese to calling them like unidentified objects. And then so now you're th throwing in like alien misinformation in there as well. That's because it's what we associate with UFOs, but it is just simply that it's we should just change it to you IDs or something like unidentified device or something other than that, because now we associate UFOs with aliens. But um, yeah, it's, it just simply means we have not identified it. And if we keep blowing them all up with rockets, we might never identify them because there might not be anything left, especially with objects that small. Maybe we just need a giant fishnet in the atmosphere, which please atmosphere hawks do not jump on me. I know the implausibility of such a thing. It was just a random objection. So now we're going to get into New Palestine. I was going to wait, there's one other possibility oh, that God. I'm not sure if people are considering. Have they considered a like Dr. Evil type of scheme? A Lex Luthor type thing? Yeah. Something well, when I said private entities, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, who's wanting to experiment <laughs> with lower stratospheric oscillation or somebody like Craig Venter experimenting with different types of bacteria that eats up carbon dioxide in the upper troposphere, or somebody just putting up mirrors to experiment with the idea that having more reflectivity over the Arctic, which is where most of these are, will decrease global warming. 
there's all types of possibilities. It is difficult to launch something into the stratosphere, though. Like, so that kind of limits the scope of who can be responsible. You'd have like to how be very many rich. of them belong to Elon Musk himself. Oh God, I hope none of them. I don't want him anywhere near. He can go out to space. Just leave the atmosphere alone. You can have your little tiny piece on Earth, and you can have outer space. But between the troposphere and the exosphere, that baby, that shit's mine, and I don't want you in it. So just leave it alone. <laughs> All right. But, um, okay. Sorry. I was just like, I was given a little lightheartedness in there. Yeah. No. <laughs> Cause this um, shit's about to get serious and very frustrating for people who don't know. I, as I just mentioned, I have a lot of expertise in satellite radar technology specifically for the detection of environmental changes and mostly in the context of natural disasters and climate change. When I was hired at the department of health, I was hired specifically as an environmental scientist to manage our disaster response to environmental health hazards. Principally, that was hurricanes because they're the most pressing issue in our state. And it's the field that I had worked as an expert in a federal agency and a state agency before that. But also things like toxic waste exposure and things like train derailments and what to do if a dam breaks and how to monitor the flow of water contamination and toxic algae, how to detect it from satellite and aerial data so we can send out an early alert warning system before people get sick. That was my job at DOH before COVID. And actually during COVID as well, because a lot of that, we were still working on toxic algae and red tide when COVID was happening. Sure. So there has been a lot of differing information on what's happening in Ohio. And that naturally breeds disinformation and misinformation. More miss than dis at this point, because until the last several days, this has been largely ignored by the mainstream media. Now, this accident happened February 3rd. So it's been 10 days, but most people think that this just happened like the last two or three days, but this has been ongoing for 10 days and it is definitely an ecological and a health crisis. So the train company that's responsible is Norfolk, Norfolk. So my Southern accent doesn't let me say that Norfolk Southern train company. And, and I think that you don't even say the L and the K Norfolk. Folk. Are you supposed you to say, say it like folk, Norfolk. Folk. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. We say it how we say it because I'm part like Pennsylvania Dutch and part South Mississippi and between the two of them, I can't say that word. So that's okay. I actually did send an immediate request to the region five EPA heads who that's where they're directing all media inquiries to. So I'm hoping to get some clarification because there are some wildly different numbers out there, but from what I've put together so far, this was a 150 or so car train and each car is like one of those boxes that you see or one of the tankers so there was 150 on this train they're attributing the accident to a mechanical issue with a rail car axle that's at this point what they're saying now that could be mean that they tried to slow down to pass through a town and some kind of braking failure caused an axle mm -hmm. to pop free it could mean, I'm assuming from the specific terminology of derailment, which is often inappropriately used. If a train goes off the tracks, they assume it's derailment, but it could mean the literal sense of they were supposed to change rail tracks and the axle failed to do so and cause the accident. Okay. They're not being clear on that. About 50 cars of the 150 total were damaged. And of those, initially the EPA said that it was anywhere between 10 and 20 hazardous materials cars that had been compromised. Now I counted at least 24 based on, and we'll go through it, this list, which was provided by Norfolk, detailing the car numbers, their status, car IDs, tank car specs, has class status, all of that. 24 hazmat cars that had at least partial leaks. And there are still additionally several that were on fire, but they don't think were compromised and several more that they don't know the status of because they haven't been able to access the site to clean it up. And it's a lot of chemicals with big, very scary sounding names, some of which earned their big, scary sounding names. How this disaster unfolded though, is more interesting than exactly what is out there. So I feel comfortable using this comparison because I lived through Hurricane Katrina. I lost family in Katrina. I see a lot of parallels to Katrina with what happened here. And who does the world, gen like generally speaking, blame for what happened during Katrina? They blame George Bush. But we can see a lot of left-leaning people not acknowledging Biden's role in this, and I don't think that's fair. 
-hmm. It's complicated. It's a cascade of failures. So 2015, we passed a basically transportation safety overhaul bill. This was still obviously under Obama. One of the things it was supposed to do was have things like mandatory monitoring of brake systems, make everything electronic, update, upgrades, especially of old axles and old basically tracks that are still using tracks from the 1800s. And Trump undid some of that, specifically some of the rail safety parts of it when he was in office. So deregulation is, of course, the monster that we always see, especially when it's involved a company-driven accident. For Katrina, it was a failure to upkeep a levee system that was literally holding back the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico over a major metropolitan area. This was a problem that Clinton knew about. So this was, it didn't just crumble overnight. This had right. been an ongoing concern. The infrastructure funding that was requested to start making those repairs was in 2003. George Bush denied it because we needed money for our Iraq war. However, even if we had approved the funding, there's no guarantee. And it's even considered unlikely that we would have been able to make the upgrades necessary in time by 2005 to prevent Hurricane Katrina from happening. So even if Trump hadn't cut it, we don't know necessarily that this railroad and these car trains and that these specific brake systems would have been fixed in time to make a difference. And then there's the other big problem. So in December, we were on the verge of a major railroad strike that, according to the Biden administration and Pete Buttigieg, would have crippled the U.S. economy. One of the biggest concerns that the unions representing rail workers had was safety. They were very concerned about the practices and the lack of upkeep with the entire rail system. They had been assured certain things because of the funding overhaul, the big infrastructure bill that we passed, which does, I think rail is third, the third largest slice of the pie. And so it has a significant amount to modernize that system. But again, that's not there yet. And so it wouldn't have made a difference. Biden made it illegal for worker, rail workers to strike in December, less than two months ago, banned union workers from striking the railroad safety lapses, which is you know fantastic. And, and if I remember correctly, that had a lot to do with the workforce component of it, that the staff were working whole hours, multiple shifts. Sometimes they weren't allowed bathroom breaks or sick yep. leave or things like that as they well. They were so. exhausted. They were more acutely aware of some of the safety protocols that were not being kept than anybody else and expressed very grave concern that there would be something like a major accident. Lo and behold, a month and a half later, there's a major derailment. Now, this, none of the stuff that happened, even if they were on strike, may not have happened this accident. Like, we couldn't have stopped it. Right. No more than no amount of damage or damage control would have stopped a hurricane from coming. But what killed everybody in Katrina wasn't just the storm. It was the leaving people in New Orleans to fend for themselves in the heat without clean water and drowning for five days. That's what killed most of the people in New Orleans. Just the same way that this response has been completely botched. Yes, there's a million things that had to happen before that, but it's like blaming the goalie. The ball had to get past 10 other people to get to the goalie, but it's always the goalie's fault. And it is, though. They are the last line. So it's it feels... Like we're not fully discussing the spectrum of blame that there is to go around. Yeah. More importantly, this is a Department of Transportation specifically problem. They oversee all railroad safety routes, the whole shebang. That is a cabinet executive level position. And of course, that's Pete Buttigieg. And not only has he not been present for this response, he hasn't even mentioned it in any of his Twitter or social media. He hasn't. Mm -hmm even tweeted his sympathies. The company came and said, we're going to offer $2,500 for the town to help clean up. It's not even $5 per person. The messaging has been all over the place. They're basically kicking it to the EPA, even though it's a DOT problem. I, this is the kind of thing when I see him like this should end his career, but of course it will not. It's also part of the reason that I think the UFO stuff is dominating the press airwaves because some of the imagery coming out of New Palestine, Ohio, is quite disturbing. The big plume of stuff that they burned, which we'll get into. Tell and us about that part, right? Tell us about that response, because I, what I've heard so far was one NPR report, and I heard that they were evacuating the town, and whatever this material was, and I don't remember if they mentioned it, but that it was whatever toxic, that they had to do some kind of controlled burn vinyl for it. 
So tell us, so we know that the train derailed because of some mechanical thing. Then what happened? So the train company did not even report the incident to the National Incident Center for two hours. For two hours. Now that is part of upgrades is having sensors that will automatically detect any kind of presence change. The people in the town knew it happened when it happened because it's very loud, but the railroad company didn't even call to alert national authorities for two hours. They did not issue evacuations for several more days. They knew that the water was contaminated the day after it happened, but waited until to build a, they basically built a little dam where two of the creeks were coming through and then did a water bypass around it so that it, to reduce further contamination. I think they did that at day four or five. So essentially the company was running this response to this accident and the feds were just nowhere to be found. And by and large, that's still what is happening right now. Now, it's not unusual for a state agency to take the lead on a response. That's typically what happens. But when you start to see an accident unfold and a corporation is put in charge of its own cleanup and the local authorities either are overwhelmed or just for whatever reason, not able to properly respond, it's the Fed's job to step up. And they have not done that. So two streams have already tested positive for a host of chemicals, not least of which is vinyl chloride, which is one of the ones we'll get into. And that started the day after the accident, but they waited a week to build a dam. They started burning the toxic liquid on February 6th. So that would have been three days afterwards to prevent further infiltration into the groundwater. So they faced one of these dilemmas. Do we want it in the water or do we want it in the air? And they want air. That is not an egregious decision to make. It's one of those, neither one is, but we're going to put it in the air first so we can stop it from getting into the water because this is an area I think that is just west of Pittsburgh and a couple of other very important tributaries. And they water is a lot harder to control where it's going to go into the groundwater. Not that we can't control air. It's better in some contexts. So... I'm making sure I get all this information as is currently re being reported. I, again, did ask the EA Region 5 press people to clarify some of these things for me because there are different reports out there. So I'm going mostly off of the primary documents that the EPA and Norfolk have provided themselves because a lot of them are even misquoted. The evacuation zone that was issued was too small. It was a mile for anything that is turning into a air contamination, it needs to be much wider than that. That was one of the initial screw-ups. Residents were not given enough information and they were largely dismissed when raising concerns that they could smell things. There was a town, because this is near the border of Pennsylvania, that I think was called Bethesda or Bethlehem, reported, started smelling some of the noxious gas. And so they sent over a company person with a hand meter and said, oh no, they're just imagining it. And these were firefighters this is a fire station that reported this. I think they would know what a noxious gas smells like. And so they were wholly dismissive and misrepresenting the extent of contamination with something that you're burning. It created a lot of confusion and disinformation. There's a lot of videos right now out there of massive fish die-offs, strange animal behavior, corrosive rainfall. Some people have been actually putting up radar maps to be like, oh, look how it's moving and it's rain. It's like, no. That's not right. You can't use a radar map to say that that's the plume spreading across. It, a lot of things that people just, if you don't know better, accidentally share, which we mentioned in one of our early episodes, that is the definition of misinformation. You see something and you share it, not because you are trying to cause false information to spread, but you don't know that it's false. Hmm. There are a lot of really inappropriate comparisons to Chernobyl popping up all over the place. And I want to do a special on Chernobyl on the 37th anniversary, which will be this April. And because that is one of possibly the most important disinformation disaster situations that you could ever imagine. But I don't think there's been an unintentional situation on par with the Chernobyl nuclear power plant accident in the history of humanity on the short earth. So that's very inappropriate to do. Erin Brockovich, who's a hero for America and one of mine, does brave investigative work. She was tweeting out, despite what the EPA says, trust your eyes, ears, and nose. And uh, so there's a lot of skepticism of what the EPA is saying, and there's good reason for that, which I'll get into in a minute. And she's right to a point, but we have to be careful 
and the advice that we dispense as authorities on this issue, especially dealing with toxic chemicals, because not all of them have an odor. Two of the specific gases that we're dealing with have, you can't see them, they're colorless. Not all chemicals are the same. So one of the big bad chemicals that people have really been focusing on is vinyl chloride. When you burn that, it makes two gases, hydrogen chloride, which you can probably surmise goes to hydrochloric acid as rainfall, and phosgene, which is, we'll do hydrochloric acid first. So hydrogen chloride is a toxic gas. It has an odor, but is invisible. When it makes contact with water vapor in the atmosphere, which is just moisture, it comes back down as hydrochloric acid. And that is corrosive to pretty much everything, but a very specific type of rubber. So if you think of Breaking Bad, where they used hydrofluoric acid to dissolve bodies, not quite as big bad as that, but very corrosive to skin, animals, plant life. It'll kill the stuff that it falls on. It's not typically what we think about when we think of acid rain, which is things like sulfuric and nitrogen, but those guys show up in other places on this list. So we have to deal with that too. So reports of hydrochloric acid so far have not been substantiated. It takes time for something that's emitted into the atmosphere to bond with water and come back down as acid rain. But there are videos of people like showing their cars with corrosive dots on them. None of those have been substantiated yet. There was a plane crash a few weeks ago, I remember, and there was a video circulating supposedly showing it. They were showing a real plane crash, just not that one. They were showing one from years ago. So we don't know where these videos are coming from or when. I personally saw one where somebody was trying to show their car being impacted by hydrochloric acid in Ohio, and it looked like summer. Everything was green and blooming, and that was my first hint that, you know what Ohio looks like in mid-February is everything is dead and gray. So that something seemed off with that video. I can't find it anymore, so maybe somebody else noticed that as well. But uh, it's something that will kill fish in water and kill your plant life, and it's not great for you to have on your skin or your hair. The other gas is phosgene. Now, that is a sub schedule three substance on the list of chemical weapons. So it is there's only three schedules. Um, hydrogen cyanide is also substance three for a point of reference. I think ricin and mustard gas or Novichik agents are number one. And I think schedule two is any kind of chemical weapon that has phosphorus bonded with methyl, ethyl, propyl atoms. So vinyl chloride can emit this phos chemical, which is very dangerous. It's a noxious gas. And uh, unfortunately, it was not the only big bad boy out there. There was also polyethylene, propylene glycol, combustible liquid nitrogen, polyvinyl, which is if you think of like PVC pipes, they had already polyvinyl formed in different boxcars that was burned. So that's great. Petroleum lube oil and a whole list of known carcinogenic products that were also leaked and burned. Petroleum lube oil is a big problem for your water. Obviously, oil penetration into ground water and earth is not great. They're worried about some butyl acrylates in there, which is a very, can be extremely dangerous. But right now, they're not sure how much of a breach there is. Again, because these are one of the cars that was in the 50, but they can't get to it yet to figure out what kind of breach there was. Okay. We have polyvinyl. Again, vinyl chloride, benzene. Uh, benzene is one of those chemicals I feel like, or at least I trust at this point, is in the public conversation enough to know that it is one of the most dangerous chemical compounds on the planet. But I haven't seen any mention of benzene in any of the news reports so far. But if I were writing a story, I'd go straight to benzene. But of course, when you see the pictures, you see that giant plume, people want to know what's in that. And the biggest two concerns for immediate health and safety were those two gases. Oh which can be very dangerous. So all of that has been spilled out. And then some, there was also a whole lot of malt liquors, apparently that were fine. So the liquor was good. They were able to, I don't know what, how bad it could have been to dump like 10 trains car, 10 train cars worth of malt liquors onto a fire would not have worked out so well, but never know. But uh, all of that stuff 
they've already reported as losses, as contaminants that have breached and we've either burned or have reached the water. We've dammed up to try to avoid further contamination, but this is still ongoing problem, especially things that do not break down organically like benzene that have a very long life expectancy within the natural environment. And if we could trust the EPA to be transparent on these things, maybe it wouldn't be so severe, but the problem is they're not. So they let the company run for about five days, all of the air monitoring stations. They set up a handful of them at different places, but mostly that was the company that was running the show. And I actually was almost stunned when I read this quote from the EPA. I want to make sure that I get it. Let's see, because it was that ridiculous to me that they actually put that in writing. Trying to find that specific quote because I just added it. So they immediately, their air monitoring stations immediately picked up on spikes on volatile organic compounds, VOCs, all over the place. They're now claiming as of yesterday that it's safe for residents to return and that all levels are at acceptable levels. However, they issued a public statement in one of their environmental monitoring reports that showed that there were unhealthy levels of hazardous contaminants but those spikes couldn't be attributed to the crash because they were found both up and downwind. For the purposes of reacclimating to your house, the train accident is not relevant because these can't be caused by the giant plume of very toxic chemicals that cause these big BOCs because they found them up and downwind, which I'm sure for every person who has an ounce of toxic waste contamination experience or modeling education, that sounds completely nonsensical. And it is. Because wind patterns change, we're dealing with a multitude of chemicals that react when combusted in different ways. They do not tell us exactly at what distance from the actual accident it was that they took these measurements or when. That would make it very easy for someone like me to actually model where the winds were, where the people were, and why they might be picking that up. And they're still not denying the fact that they are at hazardous levels, but because it had nothing to do with the train, sure, just come back. You were living in it before, apparently. I think it went. <laughs> That's fine. Must be coming from, yeah, I think in the report they say it must be coming from another source. Like, yes. Other than the giant plume of benzene and vinyl, it's just, it's insane that they think that people would believe that or that environmental experts aren't going to read that and call them out on that bullshit because that's not true. No. It also doesn't help that a News Nation reporter who went to one of the press conferences to ask questions about what was happening. Now, News Nation is the fastest growing non-triplet news agency in America right now. So you have CNN, you have Fox, you have MSNBC. News Nation is the fastest growing outside of those three. That's where Chris hmm. Cuomo has landed. So not some rinky-dink or particularly combative news agency. They forcibly took this reporter down to the ground and arrested him. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, for asking questions to the governor about the Ohio derailment and booked him in jail. The, the National Guard guy who ordered it released the most ridiculous statement I've ever seen, which is not too off par for the police, but said, oh, I felt like he was a real threat to me. So I went and attacked him. And I escorted him to the ground. Yeah, exactly. And there's video. Of course, there's video. He's with a news crew. And that's not at all what happened. So it's just fed into this anti-government, anti-trust mindset, rather, that makes it opportune for conspiracy theories, like people right. saying that entire migratory birds are now avoiding this region of Ohio. There are no migratory birds going from that part of Ohio to <laughs> Pennsylvania at this exact They're moment. To yeah. All to, yeah, it's just, it gets really- They're already here, quickly. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's insane that a real ecological and health disaster that was mismanaged from its conception to where we are right now, 10 days post, with very severe consequences to the health and safety of the people, plants and animals in that area. And that the actions of a few people are now making it so sensationalized that it's going to be dismissed. And that's typically how these things go is yeah. when you start to hear an environmental story and then things get crazy, people start to think, yeah, so this is very serious and there should be a lot of accountability in how this was mismanaged. Mm -hmm. Disaster response is what I was 
like I said, I was hired in the state of Louisiana to do it. I was hired for the federal government at Sea Grant to do it. And I was hired for the state of Florida to do it. And I only got fired from one of those. So I um, want to ask a question. And that was DeSantis. So that's that's yeah. very well known. I had no problem that. with the two Republican governors that I worked for before that, which included mm-hmm. Rick Scott and Bobby Jindal. So so i wanted to ask though so there was an evacuation of the area around i heard it was like five thousand people is that the information that you heard as well so there are five thousand people in the town that people are referencing so new palestine as a town has five thousand people there were 400 homes actually evacuated because they didn't make the evacuation zone the whole town it just extended out to a one mile radius or diameter, I can't remember which one they decided on. Either way, wholly insufficient. You, But this is something that we talk about in managing nuclear fallout, that our evacuation radius is way too small. It should be doubled or tripled if we were to incur a serious nuclear accident at a facility. But that's, people do that because the larger the evacuation is, naturally the worse it looks. There are a lot of people who are still there. There were 400, I think 420 homes that were evacuated. The EPA is now saying that in partnership with the company. So again, they're making it very clear. The company's running this show, which is not what should happen. If you're a victim or if you've been evacuated, the number that they give you to call is the Norfolk Southern Family Assistant Line. This is completely unacceptable. It's almost abhorrent that they've handed over a disaster that this agency's lobbying for deregulation and treatment of their workers and their complete lack of reserve, that their delay in reporting it hours after a major rail accident carrying apparently 24 cars of compromised hazmat material waited hours to report it. They shouldn't be in charge of jack or shit right now. And they are. But yeah, all the homes that were evacuated, they're claiming that they've tested almost half of them. And they only did half before they started saying that it was safe to come back. You can also call them and ask them to come monitor your error for you if you want. I'm sure that'll do a lot of good. But they didn't specify the range of what they're looking for. They did mention looking for the vinyl chloride and one of the gases, but benzene, none of these other things were on there. And they're basically hand tools. And so it's, they probably popped into a house, held it there for one second, waited to see if anything went off. They're not doing any further investigation beyond that. Um, It's insane. I was going to say, let me, can I just make a note about this in terms of the relationship that companies and then the organizations that are often there to oversee them have. So in political science, we call this iron triangle, right? The relationship that they have. And it's further complicated when you have folks who are elected, who are supposed to be doing oversight that also have a cozy relationship with the companies and then push deregulation and disinvestment. So what ends up happening is organizations like the EPA, for instance, are further hobbled because they don't have the staff, the time, the energy to properly do oversight. And then there's cozy relationships with the organizations that they're supposed to be providing oversight for on both the funding side and the implementation side. So you get a really toxic situation because they're not providing the oversight for the company. And because ultimately within that triangle, they end up having to save their own face, right? Because of the fiscal conservatism in the movement. So if they do something bad, the push for deregulation and the push for defunding them is going to be increased. So so there's an incentive for both the company to say, hey, everything's a-okay, but there's also an incentive for the EPA to say, hey, everything is okay, we have it under control because of the pressures that they face. And it's a really bad deal for the American people. I just want to say that component on it. What we really need to have is we need to have a true oversight agency that has not got a cozy relationship with the those that they're supposed to be oversight seeing. And we got to take the money out of politics, but we also have to make sure that these agencies can do what they need to do, even when people don't like it, because nobody wants to be evacuated from their home, okay? Yeah. But people also don't want to die from having toxic chemicals spilled into their area. Yeah. So they have to be able to do the things without risking their funding because of that political side as well. Yes. 
And to me, this is on a much, much smaller scale. Not This is another disaster I personally went through because I was living there at the time with the BP oil spill. There was the deregulation, the corruption, the ignoring of all of these like mechanical issues, specifically at this one location that created this massive environmental effort. And when P BP wanted to take the lead on the response, it was clear that they their only mission was to try to minimize how much of an ecological impact that had and it continues to have to this day. Now, they ended up at least being held somewhat accountable because they had to pay huge ass fine, which in Florida is all controlled by Don Gates now, which is totally bullshit how that happens, but it did. Um, at least they had to pay a significant amount of money. BP couldn't even fix the damn pipe. We had to get freaking James Cameron to come in with his Titanic cameras to get down there to see what the hell was going on. So companies aren't naturally built with the capacity to handle the damage from their own disasters, from their own right. mistakes. Nothing, it's been 10 days and there is still no sign that the federal government is taking control of anything that's happened there. And somebody who has twice been abandoned by the federal government during a natural disaster, I can tell you that is the putting, it'd be like if you put the fossil fuel industry in charge of the Trino response, it would be like that ridiculous. It's like, why? They don't know what the hell to do. This is not, we have emergency response as a mostly functional government entity from the local municipal level to the state level to the fed level for a reason. An incident command is structured in a way to most effectively deal with this. We deal, we dealt tra with trainings for train derailments and toxic chemicals, and we did biological warfare. We do everything. We're the people you need to call in. And instead of that, they have a train company who is pretty much stopping the leaks, decided to burn it at some place. I'm still waiting to hear from the EPA if that was their call or if the company or local municipality decided to do that on their own because it started burning before people were evacuated. And that should have absolutely have never happened. And it was a controlled burn, which means that they lit it on fire intentionally and yeah. was not accidental. Some of the process and the timeline of this stuff is completely mishandled. It really concerns me that Ohio as a major population state and the federal government as it is currently operating with its head of transportation are not equipped to deal with a single train derailment in a small town. That is wholly unacceptable. At the same time, please stop comparing it to Chernobyl. It is not comparable in the least. When we start talking about Chernobyl and the number of actual deaths attributed to the worst nuclear incident in human history, you'll understand why that's not even appropriate. And not to mention all the people that were like killed and threatened if they ever told the truth. We're not at that point at this time. And the scale and breadth, we. Chernobyl had the potential to render the entire world inhabitable. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people do not realize that, that we were one brave scientist away from the whole planet being uninhabitable. It does have a giant plume. It's not nuclear. There's nothing nuclear involved with this whatsoever. It is manageable if managed right. And it's unfortunate, but there are, there's room for improvement since it happened. Buttigieg has not said a damn word about reinstating those safety measures that were reversed under Trump. And as I mentioned earlier, I scoured his social media. He hasn't even mentioned it. And this isn't somebody who has no social media. He's tweeting several times a day. He's doing press interviews all the time. Yeah. He's usually pretty great at it and nothing. And it's not because he's there doing work. He's not. He was in Louisiana yesterday. Now, I love Louisiana. That's where my heart and my soul will always be. They do need, God knows, some infrastructure funding but when there is a crisis, you go to where the crisis is. I love Louisiana, but a bridge in Louisiana that needs funding can wait another week. I know they've probably waited years. They've probably waited decades, to be honest. They probably I mean, waited they get all the time. And I hate saying that to my brothers and sisters in Louisiana. But at the same time, crisis goes first. You drop what so, you're doing. You drop the PR tour and you go deal with the actual problem. Yeah. So one thing I will say, even though, of course, this is not on the scale of Chernobyl, one of the lessons that we should have learned from the retrospective on the Chernobyl disaster is that when you have companies, politicians, government officials who want to put image first instead yeah. of health and safety, you get problems. And we saw that with COVID, right? And we saw that national level. We saw it at the state level. You're still and, saying 
Yeah, we're still seeing that. And that's what I that's what I want everybody to pull out from this too, is that what we really actually need is a government response that puts the health and safety of the people first. Yes. This image management, this political management, that's why they're supposed to be separate. That's why we have bureaucrats instead of fully political and partisan appointees in the administration, because they're supposed to be above that. And we know that the companies are going to act that way. They're going to put their image first because it's related to their profit. And we know that the politicians are going to put their partisan nonsense first, but we have to have some line of defense. And that's why we need the transparency in government. And that's why we need strong institutions that are not beholden to partisans. And disaster response in politics. It's weird because at the same time, they're inseparable, but also they're completely inconsistent. Every disaster is a potential political pitfall for a politician. So they do exert control oftentimes over how those things are managed because it is a risk to their image if something goes wrong, even if it's not necessarily their individual oversight or responsibility to fix something. Most that people here. who work for the Florida Department of Health were here before COVID started, at least when I started there. So yeah. when DeSantis had been in charge for... When was that? When did he get sworn in? 2019? 2019. Who was elected 2018. So he'd only been there for a year. All Most of the staff were people that were there before him. He's not responsible for all the individual hirings and appointments within that company, um, but still had an image risk of mishandling it. So he inserted himself. But anybody who's studying natural disasters, which I realize is a very kind of specific. (laughs) It's a specialty. It's a specialty of a specialty. They know that the second that things become political, that's when you start to misprioritize your response. And this was something that it didn't just happen initially. And there was one mistake. It's been just slowly unfolding over 10 days and it necessitated an immediate and comprehensive response. And it did not get that. And I personally hope that whatever investigations come out of this railroad company, that there is some sort of significant fine for delaying reporting to a national command center for two hours, because that is, you think of some of the other chemicals that they had on those rails that did not blow up. It's almost as if they wanted a survey of what was compromised before they called it in. And there's no time for that. When a train goes off the tracks, you call the fucking feds. That's what you do. You don't wait two hours my God. And you certainly don't go over to firefighters in Pennsylvania who are reporting when they're in the wind path that they're starting to smell noxious fumes, send somebody from the company in to tell them that they're not. Oh no. So, that was I, think just actually I think I saw it in my notes somewhere. Oh my goodness. So yeah. And it reminds me too, just because I am still living in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian is that evacuation component too. When it's, they didn't want to make too many people upset. So they delayed the evacuation and people I did not died. want to create an inconvenience. And right. that is a almost the extent to which that's starting to influence disaster response is very concerning. It didn't Absolutely. used to be such a big component, but after three plus years of COVID, yeah. people expect to be able to make it through a global pandemic that kills how many millions of people now? without even being inconvenienced. Before it used to be like, we need to issue these orders and we need to understand how we're going to handle people that refuse to leave. And then it was, they didn't issue them when they should have. And then it was too late when they finally did. That got people killed. Now that, I don't know what exactly role the state had because most of the time the evacuation orders are handled on a local basis, but the state can step in. The National Weather Service is going to come in because that's where the National Hurricane Center is and that's where the storm surge modeling office is located. We don't have that capability within the state of Florida to do all the robust modeling that we have and say these are the areas that are most at risk. They get that data. They get those maps. They look at those maps. Somebody had to make the conscious decision that the giant red block north and south of that was all evacuating didn't need to. And by the time they made the call, it was too late and possibly put more people in danger than if they hadn't made it at all. So it's, yeah, these types of political decisions, the the fear of being ridiculed for inconveniencing people for nothing. That is what it's come down to. It's you made me evacuate and I spent all this money on a hotel and all this money on food. And I was dislocated for a period of time and it was, my house is fine, blah, blah, blah. That's part of the driving is part of the plan. (laughs) It's emergency management. It's about the possibility that the storm could potentially destroy your house and kill you. And recognizing that it's also likely that it won't, 
but looking at those two possibilities and saying the dead one is more serious. So we're going to go with that and act on that possibility. But yeah. now nobody and, and, even wants to have to wear a freaking mask at the airport anymore. Right. And to me, one of the biggest mistakes that was made by the Biden administration was ever lifting that mask mandate. We should have made it permanent. It should be permanent for air travel and most public transit for in perpetuity because that is a major hub. How many people were coughing on that plane? And I'm sitting there like, from Pensacola to DC, I was one of only three people with a mask. From DC to Yale, there were only like three people not wearing masks. And I, you, I saw that as kind of a, an intelligence increaser as I was going north all of a sudden they're wearing them. So um, as we close out that segment, do you want to tell us what happened at Yale? Not yet. It went? Not I, yet. I'm not jinxing anything until I get official word. But my, the class that I got to go to and there's seminar or whatever went really well. I got to, again, speak to some whistleblowing heroes of mine. Sharon Watkins was there. The Navy whistleblower, Richard Spencer, my good friend, Tyler Schultz from Theranos, just really titans in this kind of world that we've somehow ended up in and getting to meet with Jeffrey Sonnenfield, who I think I even underestimated to a large extent how influential that man is. And just having pizza and yeah, with freaking Jeffrey Sonnenfield to me was like one of the highlights of my life. So it was pretty awesome. Other news will have to be delayed. I don't have any Later. actual wood in here. Everything is fake wood. There's gotta be wood somewhere behind these walls. <laughs> yeah. You we'll went up, you to took that. a visit, you gave a presentation and you were. And it went really well. Great. So that's good to hear. So um, what other, what, do we have any more stories here or are- I'm not going to get too much into the state of the union because yeah, that laugh is why. We can talk about Biden ending the pandemic emergency officially. When oh yeah. Tell us your yeah. take on, on, on that. It's a mistake. Um, it's absolutely a mistake. What it's basically doing is pushing millions of people that qualified for Medicaid and Medicare under the emergency provisions they're not going to lose their health care. We're not through this pandemic. We still have thousands of people dying every single week. I think last week we averaged 544 people per day in this country. So this thing's not over. I hate that people are pretending that it's over. Not to mention the number of flu-like cases that are going around. We help combat both of those when people have access to preventative care, to a primary care physician, especially kids. The, I have gotten so much crap from my own party and by that the Democrats forever saying an ill world word towards Biden. But I too, I have not other than his mandating it for the vaccine for federal employees. And for the period of time that he did mandate it on flights had anything really positive to say about his response. That's not entirely true. I realize that's a perception because I complain loudly and often, but I'm an accountability hawk. If you want rainbows and sunshines, go to the TikTok cat video page. That's, I'm here to try to call out when things are being mismanaged or when people are being lied to or when a specific and a disaster is not being handled properly. And especially when it's within my field of experience or expertise, I'm not going to go light or go easy on someone because they're politically or ideologically aligned with me. I was one of the first people ready to go to call out Andrew Cuomo and the shenanigans that he played with the nursing home data, which by the way, the state of Florida did the exact same fucking thing, but we never talk about that because right. we didn't lie about it. We were just straight up about it. But people were like, how are you going to call out Andrew Cuomo? And then they thought, because I was friends with Chris Cuomo, I couldn't do that. And I was like, I don't think you understand their relationship or my relationship with either one of them, but okay, let's do that. But I have been so displeased with all of the hope that we had on how the Biden administration would confront COVID. And I'm not the only one. Andy Slavitt, who was one of the most public advocates for handling COVID better pre-Biden, got a job as the head of the White House COVID task force data kind of office for them. He quit four months later. And so there have been, and he's the, probably one of the most respected data scientists on COVID-19 in the country. He still is, but he quit. Incongruent ideas on execution of certain things. One of the reasons we gave up monitoring school cases nationwide, which I was in charge of, was because we had assurances from the Biden administration that they would pick up that responsibility so it no longer fell to me and Google and a bunch of volunteers. They never did it. They had no intention on tracking COVID cases in schools because if they did, they would have to confront the fact that their 100-day reopening promise was not possible, at least not possible to do safely. And they had an agenda and a promise, and they couldn't be seen as reneging on that.
So it was much easier just not to report it. There are plenty of things to complain about. And maybe it being a professional complainer is shitty. And you do nothing but piss people off. But in my, I will also say Biden has done more things good than people realize because his PR is also shit. They have the shittiest PR on the planet. And the number of economic, ecological, and political disasters that we have averted under Biden, the things that he's had to repair and fix, restore, or the international ties that he's had to mend yeah. really cannot be understated. But when it comes to the specific things that I know about when COVID and this one specific incident, which is more on Pete Buttigieg than it is Biden, it shouldn't get to that level. It should be managed sure. lower. Yeah, there is a lot to be desired. Yeah. And I'll say it's still the COVID response, especially is just, there's a whole national mood and the mood was that everybody was over it. And you had the, when you have the drumbeat of folks like Ron DeSantis who are attacking the institutions and Dr. Fauci and the vaccines still to this day, every day, it's like an identity to be anti-COVID and it just makes it really hard as the seemingly the risk of it seems to have gone down, right? So people say, okay, maybe, yeah, we should be doing what these folks are doing over like what happened down here in Florida. It was like, shit, spring break never ended. Like they just kept having yeah. spring break and they're all drinking and, and having fun. And then became one of the worst managed states for COVID in the country, but that's not right. the way that DeSantis tells it. And there's and not an aggressive enough pushback against it. There's only so much I can do to combat all of the bullshit that the governor's office and all of the resources he has to push that false narrative. Exactly. One person, guys, help me out. <laughs> it's, right. Come on. But yeah, it, it's, but it's tough. It's just it tough is. even in the big sense too. So I think that's There's again, a lot of back to complicating the... factors, but there were missteps very early on yep. that led us here. Like sure. having the state of the union, not allowing any of the Congress person, Congress people to wear masks, not this one, the one before, which even people in Congress were not comfortable with. They did not feel comfortable going in there without a mask. And then guess what happened? A whole bunch of Congress people got sick. And that kind of forced image of we're, we need COVID to be over to win the midterms kind of thing. So nobody's allowed to wear a mask because if you're seen wearing a mask, it makes me seem like a liar. In this case, Biden, that was a big fucking mistake to a, put people in that position where they're not allowed to take the safety measures that they feel they should take and were right to take, and then to propagandize the disease again. It got, just be honest with people, for fuck's sake. I feel like, yeah, you, you might look like a bad guy. There's a redemption arc for you, at least. And just, there's a lot of bad things out there. We don't have to exacerbate them. Yeah. I've been told that, like I said, I'm an accountability hawk. Everything I talk about is that person's full of shit. And they're like, you're not making any friends like that. I was like, sure I am. Everybody's not full of shit. <laughs> Those are my new friends. <laughs> and I've realized over the years, there's not all that many of those not full of shit people, apparently. It's just unfortunate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, thank you guys. That's why politics was a hard jump. Yes. Politics was a culture shock to say the least, which is also why I said almost like immediately, I'm doing this one time and then not again. And I have been approached eight times. I actually counted this morning, eight times to run again, mostly for the same seat, but also for governor. And I was like, first of all, that election ain't for four years. So I don't want to, stupid. For Senate against Rick Scott. And I was like, no, I have done more to shape policy, not as an elected official than most of the elected officials in state politics in Florida. And if that's the way that it has to be, then that's the way I'm going to do it. And I have to start thinking about my family and what they've been subjected to and the ongoing struggles that they have. No, but on that happy, positive note, that's our episode for this week. And uh, next week we'll try to have some more funny stuff because this stuff is pretty serious. Yes. But I'll see if I can't get us a nice special guest to help lighten the mood a little bit. But yeah, so that's where we're at. And hopefully that was informative and we'll release an accompanying article to go out after this. I've, like I said, I've put out requests for information to their press affiliates for both the company and the EPA. So hopefully they can provide some more clarity because it's very hard right now to find accurate information. All of the legitimate news agencies are publishing wildly different numbers. And that's one of the problems. There's no communications front on this either. And uh, that's one of the people I wanted to be. I wanted to be one of the people that helps people 
find out what the fuck is going on during a natural disaster. But loyalty is something I don't sell. So may not be the most appropriate place for me. But well, anyways, this is relational. Let's say you're serving a big role here. So getting the information out is a huge part of it. And we did have in this new show, we did have a major milestone over a thousand downloads already. Yay! We need to make a confetti sound. That's pretty good for an upstart podcast. And yeah, I know, I know. we just started this too. So it's pretty awesome. So yeah, you can become a founding member and get all of your our stuff forever, including the videos. And if you don't see my bizarre eye action, then you're missing half of the show. I, I'm going to do like an eye roll count ticker at some point when we're talking about Republicans. And we're going to be booking more special guests and talking about news that maybe some people are uncomfortable telling. And uh, because truth isn't always comfortable. And True. sometimes it needs not be. So... We will see you guys next week and have a whole slate of happy topics, I promise. All right. It's been Rebecca Jones and Cindy Banier here for Misinformational on Big Mouth Media. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and a cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.